You thought you had all the time in the world, but as the sound of the nurses and the doctors rushing around you start to fade away, you realize this is it. It wasn't meant to end like this, but it's okay, you think to yourself, as the white light appears in that long tunnel. I've taken care of everything. Actually, wait, no, I haven't. The dog. What happens to my dog when I die? Aloha, I'm James Jacobson in Maui, Hawaii. And I'm Caroline Winter in Adelaide in Australia. Welcome to Dog Edition, where voices from around the world consider all things dog. So if you love dogs as much as we do, pause what you're doing, leash up your pup, and let's take a walk, because we have got a lot to talk about on today's episode of Dog Edition. Hey, Pepper, want to go for a walk? What happens to my dog when I die? It's a question that many dog lovers probably haven't even asked themselves. Have you? And while the question seems black and white, the answer is actually pretty grey. And on today's episode, we will explore some of that gray and we'll pass along some tips and suggestions that may make it easier for you, your family, and your dog if the inevitable happens, perhaps sooner than you expect. Jim, I think we think a lot about our dog's lives right now. That's while we're alive, but not so much when we're gone. Mm -hmm. Now, That's just me thinking aloud. So we decided to ask some people at dog parks around the world about what they have planned for their pooch when they go. I don't know exactly what would happen, but in my will, there is a set amount for each kind of animal I have. Oh, I don't know. Um, Well, we have wonderful neighbors who love him, and I think that they'd be able to take him on and um, they'd want to keep him. I mean, I haven't really thought about that. I feel like it's not a very pleasant thing to think about but I feel like it would be good if he lives with like a member of my family or someone who I'm really close with I don't have a plan but I probably will make a plan now that I'm thinking about it that is a pretty mixed bag Caro and the notion that your family or friends will probably look after your dog when he's gone is nice and all that but you know how do you actually know that's going to happen It's a really good question, and I'm not judging anyone here, but it really struck me that without a plan, you're leaving the fate of your dog to chance. My best friend recently finished her will, and she's written my husband and I in there as her daughter's legal guardians if anything should happen to her, which is a huge thing. Mm. Now, we'd be honoured, of course, not that I can bring myself to think about it, but what was missing was what happens to her chocolate Labrador. This is a dog she absolutely adores and she's had in her life for about six years now so it's no fault of hers but it's just not something we think about you know i quite honestly when we started working on this episode my wife molly and i hadn't discussed it either what would happen to our dogs if something should happen to both of us and all of this got me thinking about someone who knew exactly what she wanted for her dog when she shuffled off Do you remember the Queen of Mean? Yeah, and I love this music. The Queen of Mean was the very unflattering name given to Leona Helmsley, the billionaire hotel magnate. Hers was one of the defining stories, the go-go, Gordon Gecko, money-making 1980s. Ah, in the era of greed is good, she was a billionaire supervillain. She was, and her husband, Harry Helmsley, and her amassed an incredibly huge fortune from hotels and, and other real estate deals. And at one point, they owned the Empire State Building. 
But then there was a spectacular fall from grace. A former senior vice president for the Helmsley Empire testified that Leona Helmsley threw a tantrum when he refused to sign a stack of phony invoices. The hotel queen is accused of defrauding the government in millions in tax money and submitting nearly $4 million in false billings for renovations to their Connecticut mansion. I am not going to jail. I've done nothing wrong. I have done nothing wrong. I'm innocent. My only crime is that I'm Leona Helmsley. Except she did go to jail. She spent 21 months in federal prison in the early 90s. She was done for tax evasion and had people who were mostly her employees who she treated badly lining up to have their say. There was that infamous line during her trial, you might remember, where a housekeeper testified that she heard Helmsley say, we don't pay taxes, only the little people pay taxes. Yeah, I remember that. That, uh, that was a tough one. Uh-huh. And then after prison, she had about three more years with her husband, Harry, until he died in 1997 and left her everything, an estate of more than $5 billion. Now, she was a lonely and grieving widow, so she took her chauffeur-driven stretch limo to a pet store in New York, as you do, and bought a little fluffy white Maltese named Trouble. Oh, man, and that dog was so spoiled. Trouble wore a diamond collar, and she ate crab cakes and cream cheese off of fine china, fine bone china, I think. And people were told to call her princess, not the dog. But to be fair, I guess Leona Helmsley was just like any other dog lover, certainly like me. Trouble meant everything to her. Yep, and that became crystal clear when the Queen of Mean died in 2007 and she left $12 million of her $4 billion fortune to the fluffball. But she cut most of her family out of the will, which sometimes happens, though she did give her brother Alvin a couple of million and stipulated that he was to take care of her princess. And Alvin, what did he do? He kept the money, but he refused to keep the dog. (laughs) So trouble hops on a private jet and goes to live with Carl Lekic in Florida, who is general manager of a Helmsley Hotel in Sarasota. But there was a dispute over how much the dog really needed to live. Carl estimated that $100,000 a year would cover food, fashion, and financials for Trouble's remaining years. And that included a budget of $8,000 for grooming, $1,200 for dog food. I guess dog food was a lot cheaper back then. Of course, there were other things like veterinary expenses and round-the-clock security guards. And the security guards were needed thanks to a bunch of death and kidnapping threats. And then, of course, there was Carl's fee for his services to care for trouble. Of course there was. So long story short, a judge knocked the $12 down to $2 in the end. But that's still a lot of money, especially for a dog. Now, trouble wasn't the first and won't be the last dog to be left in the lap of luxury. And love or hate Leona Helmsley, she knew what she wanted for her dog. Here's what happens when you don't. Oh, it was just heartbreaking. It was absolutely appalling. Uh, I tell people it's something I'll carry to my grave, trying to get that beautiful boxer away from her deceased dad. It was just horrible. That's Rita Lind. She lives in Tasmania in Australia. It's a pretty island territory just off the mainland. And when she shared her story with me, it hit hard. 
uh, a very good friend of ours. I hadn't been able to contact him for quite a few days. So my husband and I went over to his property and we found him deceased with his beautiful boxer, Hannah, uh, was with him and guarding him. And he'd been deceased for over four days. It's so hard to understand the gravity of all of that. You turn up to your friend's place and they've been dead for days. And then there's the dog. It's confused and grieving and, and now the poor dog is orphaned. That is a lot to take in. It is a lot to take in, and it's exactly how Rita felt. Her friend John lived alone with Hannah, the nine-year-old boxer, because his wife had already passed away. And in the middle of her confusion and grief, Rita then realised her next move. She brought Hannah home to live with her, and she made the dog a promise to start a sanctuary so dogs like her wouldn't end up in a shelter or worse. I just thought, well, something has to happen here. You know, there's nowhere for dogs that people can leave their dog to go to when they pass away and uh, pass away comfortably knowing that it's going to be cared for forevermore. And that's how the Hannah Sanctuary started. So it's a place where dogs can go when their owners die? Exactly. Keep in mind that they're not rehomed or fostered. This is their new home for the rest of their days. Hmm. It's kind of like a frat house without the parties. <laughs> or actually, maybe there are parties. We know how dogs go. Hannah's house has four four-legged residents right at the moment, Banjo, Taz, Tango and Marley. And they have two acres of lush green garden to run around in. And they share a two-bedroom cabin-style home with a couple of queen's size beds, couches to laze around on and a fireplace to keep warm. They absolutely love it. Their well-being, like I said, is first and foremost. So any dog that comes, they spend the rest of their life living in luxury and being pampered. We don't spare any expense on caring for these dogs. That sounds pretty good. I mean, even perhaps better than Trouble's life after Leona. But my question is, how much does it cost and how do people get their dog there? Because it sounds really good. It's relatively simple, actually. There's a bit of paperwork, as you'd expect, if you do want to leave your dog to Hannah's house. You need to apply and answer some questions about your dog's health, lifestyle and behaviour. You also have to add very specific wording to your will that lets the Hannah Foundation take the dog when the time comes. And you also need to leave some money. Rita asks for a minimum bequest to pay for things like food and vet bills for the rest of the dog's life. So I guess we're not talking about Leona (laughs) Helmsley kind of money? No, not quite. Just a genuine amount that you think will cover those costs for as long as they live. Oh, and the best bit? Mm -hmm. They have dedicated carers who live with the dogs and look after them 24-7. They walk them, they feed them, they play with them, all the fun stuff. Sounds like the best job in the world. I think that sounds like a pretty good job, and I think she's really on to something here. I'd like to see that in my neck of the woods. Well, at least 50 dog owners agree with you because that's how many pups there are on the wait list ready to move in when the time comes. I believe it. (laughs) And the best bit, they've also recently been donated a 61-acre property with a house and unit on the land. Wow. And that's where the sanctuary is going to relocate and wait for it, expand. So more room for more doggos. That sounds perfect. It does. And so maybe this means that more people are thinking about what happens to their dog when they die. Or are they? We're going to take a break right now, but when we come back, we are going to talk with an estate attorney who has some really important advice that'll help all of us 
plan for the inevitable and for our dogs. We'll be right back. And now, a message from your dog. Every day with you is like a day at the beach, and I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run and sniff and find a good stick to carry. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want Everpup. It infuses any food you give me with health and life and vibrancy. I can feel it. It's a strange thing to do, sprinkle this powder on my food, but I wouldn't have it any other way. My time with you is precious and irreplaceable, and I'm thrilled to be with you for as long as possible. Here's to puppy playtime and senior snoozes. <laughs> no matter how old I get, I want my ever pup. It just makes me feel good in this life and the next and the next and the next. I am so grateful to be your dog and for the ever pup you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com, where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup every day. Welcome back to Dog Edition. You know, we love our pets, but we don't think about what happens if something happens to us, whether it's permanently or if it's temporarily, but we need to think of these things. That voice is Kim Bresson Kibway. She is an estate planning attorney, formerly with the ASPCA, the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. And she told me that about only 20 to 25% of people in the U.S. have a will, and of those, Half of them include provisions for their pets. That's pretty low, Jim. I mean, 10%. I'm actually quite surprised. And even more so because more people are getting pets. Actually, according to some statistics I came across recently, pet ownership in the US jumped 3% to 70% in the past year. So you'd actually think more people would be thinking about this. That is true. But it has taken a long time even to get up to that figure. Kim was at the ASPCA in New York when all the trouble with Leona Helmsley's estate happened. And she says the whole saga did have an upside. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. I think it absolutely did. I mean, myself and other practitioners in this field, you know, did what we could. You know, you try to do a little talk here or there in front of a, a group of attorneys. That didn't go over too well. But, you know, you try to talk in these community types of conversations, whether it's a rotary club or whatever, and you try to get on their uh, agenda. But by and large, I think the Helmsley thing really did a lot to get to people thinking about their pet children, for lack of a better word. It's not just about changing the mindset about the dog owners that's taken time, but also getting the estate attorneys, the people who prepare the wills and do the estate planning on board. Well, it's better now than it was. I know when I first started working at the ASPCA and going to estate conferences, the whole notion of talking or even raising the question of whether a person had a, a pet didn't even come into existence. And I started back in 1999 at the ASPCA. And it wasn't even a conversation amongst estate 
attorneys, people who what are there to help you dispose of your assets. Right. So do you just get a lawyer like Kim to specify the amount of money in your will or in the case of Hannah's house where you want your dog to go or is there actually more to it? Yeah, well, someone like Kim is perfect, but she's adamant it can't just be any type of lawyer. A person who has an animal knows what an animal needs. They live with an animal. They can identify with all the little peculiarities that animals have, what they like to eat, what they don't like to eat, who they're allergic to, what behavioral issues. All of these are sensitivities that Lawyers who have been around animals, maybe they don't have them, but they've been around them, have a sensibility about. And I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. I hate to call it the way I see it, but I have seen too many documents written by people who don't have animals. So they don't have the same sensibility. They're not asking the questions that need to be asked of people who have animals in order to rehome them, which is what it's all about. So is the only option then to write your wishes in your will to make sure that your dog is looked after? Actually, no. Kim went over this with me when we spoke. And a will is a good place to start. And of course, in a will, you can prescribe the provisions that you want to leave for your dog, like money for food and vet bills and, and of course, who will look after your dog. But a will does not take into account what happens if you become incapacitated. Not die, but if you become incapacitated. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Okay, so what are some of the other options then? Well, Kim told me about something called a pet trust. And a pet trust is a really good option because if you die or if you can't take care of your dog for an extended period of time because perhaps you are in the hospital or there's some sort of injury or you just can't take care of your dog, then a trustee can be appointed who basically holds the money that is used to pay for the dog's care and all the related expenses and the pet trust can stay in place for the rest of the dog's life. And a pet trust is a good thing if you've got a reasonable amount of money that you want to leave for your dog, or if you're concerned that your family might dispute your wishes. But here in the United States, there is an even simpler option. It's basically a contract that you as the pet owner, you find a caregiver, or it could be a relative, or anyone who you entrust, with the care of your pet. And in this agreement, you've listed out all the details about the care of your pet. If there's money to be involved, it lists the amount of money, what it's going to go for. If at the end of the pet's life, where does the money go? But the point here is it's called a pet protection agreement. And it's something an individual can execute without the assistance of an attorney. Now, I hadn't heard of a pet protection agreement, and it sounds like an incredibly good option, especially because, you know, lawyer fees can be pretty pricey if you do the traditional agreements and contracts. I like the idea of just going online and downloading a form and filling it out. Yeah, that's a great option. And it seems then that there are actually a lot of options out there. Mm -hmm. But at the centre of it all, it's really about thinking ahead, figuring out what your dog will need when you're not around, even if it is diamond collars and crab cakes and then choosing how you want to do it. But what if you've made your decision and not everyone's on board? The human element sometimes is not very nice if they think there's money involved. A lot of people turn into vultures. In fact, you know, they don't want any money left for the dog to come. Oh, I'll take it and look after it. And then once mum and dad's passed away, the dog's put to sleep. I hear all these heartbreaking stories all the time. That's Rita Lind again, and she told me she's seen it all. So you really need to have this stuff watertight, right? Otherwise, it can go to pot. 
Working on this story, much like you, Jim, has given me a kick up the butt, to be honest, because my husband and I haven't thought for a second what might happen to Harvey if something should happen to us first. We've assumed a whole lot, though, like we won't go first. But if we did, one of our parents, I suppose, would take him or maybe my sister-in-law. But that's so presumptuous. And we haven't even asked them. Exactly. And that's the clincher. And that's why communication is so important. I only say that whoever you have entrusted with the care of your pet, make sure that they are on the same page with you and you both understand that this is a lifetime commitment or if it's a fostering commitment, that's okay too. But what kills me, people assume that somebody wants to take care of their pet. You don't know that. So you want to be very clear about that conversation that you have with them. It sounds so simple, but Kim is right. And as you say, Caro, without explicitly talking about it, How does anyone really know your wishes? Now, of course, no one is going to love your dog like you do, but it is up to you to be proactive and make sure that you have defined what should happen to your dog if you go first, whatever that plan is. It all sounds so obvious and straightforward, and yet so many people, me included, still don't have that plan. Mm It's kind of serendipitous, though, that John and his wife, Leslie, didn't have a plan for their very loved boxer. So I did ask Rita to reflect on what she thought her late friends would have made of Hannah's legacy. Oh, I think he'd be an extremely happy boy. And uh, Leslie, which was Hannah's mum, she would be dancing around in heaven, I'm quite sure. I'm quite sure they'd both be so, so appreciative. Well, that is our episode for this week. But before we go, here's what we're working on for the next edition of Dog Edition. Barbecues, bins and butts. Why your dog can't keep its nose away. The sense of smell that a dog has is to the the order of thousands of times better than a person. You know, a male dog is going to be able to smell a female dog in heat several blocks, if not, you know, a mile away. Why is your dog's nose a superpower? That's on the next episode of Dog Edition. And if you are looking for something to listen to on your dog walk between now and then, when you'll be checking out smells and butts, check out my latest conversation on The Long Leash with Rebecca Asher Walsh. She's an entertainment reporter, a writer, and a big dog devotee. Please follow Dog Edition wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. The more stars, the better. And we would love you to spread the word about Dog Edition. If you like what you heard today, please tell a friend. It'll really help us grow this podcast. Until next time, I'm Caroline Winter, your resident news hound. And I'm James Jacobson. On behalf of all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, we wish you and your dog a very warm aloha. Is artificial intelligence going to change veterinary medicine? Well, it already has. Right now, on Dog Cancer Answers, we're speaking with Dr. Kelly Deal of Morris Animal Foundation about how AI is impacting veterinary research and the practice of medicine itself. That's on Dog Cancer Answers. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or at dogcancer.com slash podcast.